And good to jump back into the Song of Songs. If this is your first week with us, we are looking at this book that is in the middle, the very middle of our sacred Scripture. And it is a collection of ancient Israelite love poetry. And we saw that this is read, of course, at weddings and and those kinds of things. But really, the main part that it is read is during the celebration of Passover. It's as if they wanted to combine this incredible divine drama of God delivering the slaves of Egypt through the Red Sea with this incredibly human part of the book. And we have been saying over and over and over again that what this book teaches us is that the desire to be with someone else, even the physical desire, marriage and sexual intimacy are gifts from God for us and for His glory. In other words, He set them free to be human. These were slaves who had been dehumanized in Egypt for centuries. And they needed to know that part of what they are set set free for is to be human. To learn how to love and desire. To learn to, to be married. To enjoy sexual intimacy. This gift of God. And when that is enjoyed within its proper context, what that then means, we say God's glory is there. What does that mean? It means that God's will was accomplished. That part of the reason He set them free from Israel was for them to be able to do this in freedom. And so we have to look at these things. And we've been looking these last couple of weeks at this great poetry. Not all of us are into poetry, but we're reading it and then seeing what this teaches us about our relationships and about desire and about human intimacy. And so, uh, as we've been doing, because we know this poetry reads a lot like a play, um, we've been reading this together, and I have had Lori, the Shulamite, uh, come up and, and to read with us. And so, I'm going to get started, because I get to start this week by praising you. Oh, well. Yes. All right. So, it'll be on the screen behind me, and you can read along if you would like. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, How beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. On it hang thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Do you want me to say that again? There's no flaw Every day. in you. That's good. All right, here's your part. Okay. All right, here you go. All right, here I go. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. I think somebody's delusional. (laughs) You you remember me back then, right? I do, yes. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks 
are like beds of spice yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, what a uh, what a strange passage. Um, I, I just found this kind of funny. Um, this has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon that I want to want to talk with you about today. But uh, it's just one of those places where you can kind of say to people who only want to interpret the Bible literally, um, this is one of those places that doesn't fit, or you end up with a with a woman that looks like this. You can see the goats, you know, falling down, and the sheep, and. Uh, you know, the tower, and uh, yeah, it just doesn't work out so well. So just know there are parts of the Bible that it, you know, just kind of says what it means, and there are parts where there's some interpretation work that needs to happen uh, there, and so that's great. But what I really wanted to talk with you about uh, is, is, is really this language of love that we see throughout these two lovers back and forth to one another. How well they know each other. And, and it, it reminds me of a story um, when Lori was um, well, I get, about six months pregnant. Uh, we were living in Northern Ireland, and uh, it's a little cheaper to get around in Europe uh, when you live there. And I was earning on the British pound, and so, uh, you know, I just had a regular steady job, but allowed us to do some travel. And so we thought, one last time, let's travel before the baby comes and uh, where would you like to go? And we said, let's go to Paris. And so we were at Paris in the spring. It, it looks like this. It's just beautiful. The cherry blossoms around the Eiffel Tower are there. And uh, so we were preparing for the trip. And I got this idea because I had heard horror stories of how Parisians look at um, and uh, react to Americans in particular. And so I, I, I didn't want to have that. And now, just so you know, I want you to know, from my standpoint, they were lovely people. Absolutely beautiful to us as Americans. Now, I did try and play one card to help. See, the woman who sat across from me at the desk, she spoke fluent French. And so I said, you know, I'm going to a country, I don't speak the language, and I just think it would be nice if I knew how to say, you know, please do you speak English? And so I started by saying, would you write out phonetically in English how I would say, I'm so sorry, my French is very poor. Do you, by any chance, speak English? She said, yeah, I can do that. So she wrote it all out, and I memorized it. And just in case I would stumble, I carried it with me in my wallet, so I would, I would be able to do this. This is way before Google Translate would have made all this uh, you know, easy. And so I memorized it. I tried to say it over and over to her across the desk. And, and then we went to Paris. And several times as we were walking along, uh, we wouldn't know exactly where we were or what we were supposed to do. And we would go in or we'd go to a restaurant or whatever. And uh, they would come up and they would say in French, Oh, oui, 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 you know. 
And, uh, and I would either pull out my paper. I think I did that the very first time because I was very nervous. And I said, you know, my French is, is very poor. By any chance, do you speak English? And then, oh, yes, what's, what is it that you want? You know, and they every time they would do this, they would uh, it opened up those opportunities that maybe if I had just done our typical thing, which is speak English louder um, and hope that because I was speaking louder, they would understand English now. um, I decided to try to speak their language and. And start by saying, I, I, I know I don't do a good job of this. Could you help me out? And every time, except for one guy who didn't speak a lick of English, but he still helped us. I, I, we were lost and, and I, I, I pointed on the map where I was and he took me down and he pointed on the map and he said, where do you want to go? I, I assume that's what he said because we got where we wanted to go. But just like, just like, Learning to say a few phrases, being vulnerable enough to attempt someone else's language opened up the opportunities for Lori and I in our visit to Paris. I would say that knowing your partner's love language invites opportunities for you for deeper intimacy. And so we have to begin to learn these things because whether you realize it or not, your partner probably speaks an entirely different love language than you do. And just like if someone was spoke French and someone spoke German and they fell in love, at some point if they want to communicate at a deeper level beyond just, I think you're beautiful... And expressing that somehow, they have to take the time to learn the other person's language. So today I want us to look at that. Because the poetic description that we read, that Lori and I read to each other, really requires a great deal of vulnerability, doesn't it? I mean, to talk about her eyes and, and her hair and her body and those, it, it requires A vulnerable knowledge, and for her to say the same about me, requires some vulnerability and some knowledge that probably took place in vulnerable moments. So you're probably wondering uh, what vulnerability is, because you cannot build a loving relationship without it. If you can't be vulnerable to your partner and allow them in, allow them to know what your love language is, or for you to let them know what your love language is, And learn to speak it, even if it's, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so bad at this, to to begin with. Then you will never see that love increase. So let's talk just briefly about vulnerability. And Brene Brown has done some great work in helping America understand uh, what vulnerability and intimacy is. And so she says, vulnerability is the idea that in order for connection to happen, we have to allow ourselves to be seen. That doesn't mean just putting on nice clothes and walking down Main Street. It means to really let someone that we love and trust see the deep parts of who we are. In fact, she goes on and says, we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. So our most vulnerable the places where we, we try to hide from other people, if we really truly want to deepen our love relationship with our partners, we have to allow that part that we try to hide from everyone to be seen by them. 
And not just, she doesn't just say the, the, the parts we try to hide, but also the powerful sides of us. The parts that are really good, we, we begin to not show off, but we begin to allow those to be present in the relationship, and there's space for that power to be there. And so there's that balance, again, that dance that we talked about last week between the parts we try to hide and the parts that we uh, try and bolster up or show as often as possible. We have to let our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. So both the powerful sides... Receive trust and respect, kindness and affection, and those parts that your partner or you try to hide from everyone, maybe including them, that we, that those things when they are brought out are treated with trust and respect and kindness and affection. This is vulnerability. And without it, you can only go so far in a relationship with someone. Now, that's scary because she also says that just mentioning the word vulnerable to people already heightens our anxiety. And so there has to be something that God does in us to allow us to move in this direction. So let's look at uh, these love languages. There are five, and, and if you've never read Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, you really owe it to yourself to do this. It's one that I typically recommend for premarital counseling. Uh, it just helps you to begin to understand um, these five categories, these five love languages, that what they are is when you do this thing, whatever this is going to be, we're going to go over the five, or when you speak into these things, your partner receives it or interprets it or hears it as love. That you get them, you know them, and you're, you're expressing love to them. Now, your language of love may be different than your partner's. And so it requires you to maybe write it down on a little piece of paper so that your partner can know how to say, I'm sorry, my love language is really poor right now. Can you please help me to understand? And then you will, because they're being vulnerable, receive that with honor and trust, with respect, and knowing that they are making the attempt. Because the truth is, you have a love language yourself. And the, the thing that I see happen in couples all the time is that you know what your love language is, and so just like if you have a native language that you speak, you probably speak that all the time. And when you're with your friends, you speak, like for me, it's English, so I speak in English all the time, unless I'm teaching you Hebrew or Greek words. It's just something I flow into. The same goes with our love language. We know our love language. It's, it's just intuitive. And so if you know what your love language is, Nine times out of ten, the chance is that you are trying to show your partner you love them through your own love language. This is going to make sense a lot more here in just a second. But the goal is, as we get to the end of these five, is that you begin to speak the language that your partner needs you to speak, and that's going to be more difficult. It's so funny, I very rarely find that, that two love languages, two people have the exact same love language. Sometimes, but very rarely. So let's, let's look at these. Are you ready? Should we jump into these? The first 
of the love languages is words of affirmation. Alright? Words of affirmation. You may want to write these down or take pictures of the slides. But uh, what do words of affirmation mean? It means that you are expressing your love in sincere words and explaining the reason why you are saying the words you are saying. So it's not just, hey, I love you. It's more like our poetry. I love you. Oh, your eyes are so gorgeous. Your temples are like pomegranate halves. You know, I, whatever, whatever you, but it is the explanation behind the love. It, it is that saying of those words, yes, that, that express that you love them, but also that person whose love language is words of affirmation, they need to know why you are saying this. Why, what is it about me that you love? What is it about me that you find attractive? What is it about the thing that I did that just spoke to you at a deep level? This is important. Words of affirmation. It's beyond just kudos and good job. It, and, and I love you. It is the deeper why. And that can be a lot harder. A lot harder for, for folks to get into. And so again, you have to have that back and forth, that deep trust. Words of affirmation. Here's some actions to avoid. If words of affirmation are your partner's love language, then you definitely want to avoid using your words to insult and to criticize. That person will take those even more deeply than, than someone whose love language is not words of affirmation. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do constructive criticism. It doesn't mean you just let them get away with whatever they want to do. Or, and I can't say anything because words of affirmation are their uh, love language. Um, no, but when you approach those times and you need to speak that truth into their lives, be cautious with your words. Be very sure that you are trying your best to bring constructive criticism. And the emphasis needs to be on the constructive and less on the criticism. Okay? So, language number one, words of affirmation. Language number two, acts of service. Now, this is more than just uh, taking the garbage out without being asked. Okay, this is more than just making your bed at night. This is the things that you intentionally do to ease the burdens of your partner. If your partner's love language is acts of service, then those things that you do to ease their burden of the things that they have to do in their life, it really screams to them and says, wow, he or she really loves me. Because look what they did. Oh my goodness. Now, I came home yesterday after uh, running to the grocery store and going to visit Gladen, and, and there, you know, there was just some straightening that happened uh, in, in the house, and, and that really spoke, I love, I love you to me. It was, it was nice. I came home, and things were organized. It was great. This, this gets you into, into that understanding of love language, the things that you do uh, to, t- to ease the burden on your partner. So the things that you should avoid doing, the actions that you should uh, not take, uh, is anything that smacks of laziness, broken commitments, or making more work for them. I, I just I get this all the time uh, from uh, for guys, you know, like if your wife's or your your spouse's thing is acts of service, 
leaving your underwear on the floor two feet from the hamper breaks this one just right out. Okay? If she's reacting like, why can't you just... Or just giving you the look. (laughs) Doing one of those. Your partner's love language is probably acts of service. Okay? This This is their love language. But remember, what you do by making sure that it makes it all the way into the hamper, says to them, he or she loves me. They receive it as love. As you, you are being vulnerable with me. You're in the, in the struggle with me. It really says and means something to them. Alright, the one that all of us think we have. Receiving gifts. Receiving gifts. Um, I mean, this is pretty much what we do. We're, we're a fairly wealthy culture. And, uh, and so a lot of times it's about buying little things for those that we love. Uh, roses. Uh, we were reminded. I hope everybody remembered that it was Valentine's Day after Katrina gave us that good re- reminder. And uh, we did all those things. But receiving gifts is more than just the little things I like. It's more than just materialism. It's the gifts and gestures that show your partner that they are known and cared for. So there is something in the gift. You put some thought into it. It is something that you know they would love or that they're interested in or that, that just reminds them of, you know, the time you went to Paris or the time you, uh, you, time you went to see this, this great thing, whatever, whatever it might, a, a wonderful, a, sometimes it can be a simple thing. Sometimes it can be a very expensive thing. But the thing that those two have in common is that the gift has some meaning behind it. It wasn't just you were racing home through the airport and you, oh, here's a t-shirt from Kansas City. Whew, throw it in the bag. Yeah. No, it's, it's the, you looked and you, you, you saw something and it said something to your partner that you were thinking about them while you were gone. That's the nature of receiving gifts or gift giving as a, as a love language. They thrive on thoughtfulness and the effort behind the visual representation of love. So it's not just the thing, but all the stuff that went into it behind the scenes that helps them. So the actions you want to avoid? Missing birthdays. Everybody pretty much, I think, has a calendar or Google calendar. You know, you should just have your partner's birthday in there with a reminder at 10 days, 5 days, 2 days, 1 day, 30 minutes. <laughs> if this is a struggle for you, this is what you do. Because you want to just get it. And it's not just, oh, i got to get them something. It's no. I want to be vulnerable with them. And although this isn't my love language, I want to make sure that they understand that I love them. And this is going to be important. You don't want to miss anniversaries, and you certainly don't want to do thoughtless gifts. You know, gifts from the gas station are not that great. You know, so remember, put those in. That's a part of love language. Um, Language number four is quality time. Quality time. And a quality time is spending time together. Yes, a lot of us think that, okay, well, we're just together. It's quality time. But there's, there's some qualifiers to quality time. It is spending time together while being fully present and giving your full and undivided attention to your partner. It is not sitting on the couch with your arm around your partner watching a football game, guys, that you are very, very interested in. 
unless she just loves football and you're in it together. That's not quality time, okay? It is, we are together, we are fully present, my attention is focused on you, the cell phone is not ringing or I have turned it off because it is important for me to be present with you in this moment because I long to, and I long to know you at a deeper level. This is, this is an important one. In our culture of Facebook and Twitter and cell phones and iWatches and everything that can grab for our attention, this love language is being squeezed out. And so if this is your partner's love language, you need to do a, a great work. There are, there's a lot more for you to do to prepare to spend that quality time with them, but it is so worth it. All right. So the actions you want to avoid, distractions. You want to avoid postponing dates. Making a date, postponing a date. Making a date, postponing a date. Making a date, letting your cell phone go off. Uh, you know, having a nice candlelit dinner and uh, didn't get a babysitter for the kids. Uh, you know, those, those kinds of things. And definitely the not listening part. All those distractions say something to your partner. All right, let's get to the last one here. And that is physical touch. Now, I have yet to met a guy who doesn't think that physical touch is his love language. Okay? I'll just just say, say that right off the bat. And I, and I also want to say, you may be comfortable with a couple of love languages, but you have one that is primary. Okay, I'm going to show you how you can figure out that in just a second. But physical touch is the person enjoys hugs, back rubs, cuddling, holding hands, and just being near you, being in physical proximity to you. That is what it means to have physical touch as a love language. Now, I want to make sure that I say this. It's not just sex. It can include sex, but it is not just about sexual intimacy. It is about all the stuff that can prepare you and lead you to that. The hand-holding, the the snuggling, the being in close proximity and all those kinds of things. But we've got to kind of set that aside. It has more to do with the being in close physical proximity to one another that says, man, he loves me or she loves me, than it does to what happens in the bedroom. Okay? It can include that stuff too, and that's great, but, but it really is more about the other physical contact. So the things that you want to avoid are neglect or abuse of any kind. Okay, I mean, that should just be full stop. But for someone whose love language truly is physical touch, abuse can wound at such a deep, deep, deep level. And it will be hard for them to express that vulnerability again going forward. So like I said, there are these languages. Some of you may have identified with a couple of them, but I guarantee you, you have one that is primary. Now, there are some of us who, who love physical touch. Um, and we say, yeah, that's mine. But, oh, you know, I kind of like gift giving, too. It's kind of nice to receive something. And, and so uh, you may be wondering, well, what is mine? If you're not sure, then I would encourage you to go and check out www.5lovelanguages.com. They have a small quiz there. can kind of get you in the ballpark, all right? Kind of help you uh, to begin to understand this. Because this, I believe, is so vital. There are some of you who have lived together for decades and never learned to speak your partner's love language. And so I want to encourage you to 
to learn what it is. That may mean that for some of you, you need to go take the test and then give the results to your partner. Now, don't just plop it down. Here, try and do better. But I would encourage you this week, I'm going to give you a little homework. I think this may be the first time I've ever given you homework. Go take this test and schedule a night this week to be with your partner for the sole intent purpose of sharing with them what your love language is and what it means to you those times that they have inadvertently stumbled into your love language. See what begins to happen. Yeah, it's going to be awkward at first. You're going to have to be very vulnerable. You're going to have to to say to them, my love language speaking abilities is very poor. Can you help me? And if your partner does that and exposes them in vulnerability, receive that with honor and trust and respect and say, thank you for being so vulnerable. I would love it if you did this. Now, I know that doesn't feel good. You want, we all want our partners to intuit what we need. But I tell every premarital couple, once you get one of these wedding bands, it does not give you mental telepathy. You have to speak if you want your partner to understand what you need. And over time, as they get more and more comfortable understanding your love language, they are more than likely able to begin to move in those things and begin to do those things a little more spontaneously, a little little more naturally, and you'll have those things. But if you don't start it somewhere, if you don't start from that vulnerable point you will never get into that relationship that you're longing for. That God set everyone free in order to enjoy. Now, if you're a single person, it is still important for you to know what your love language is. So I would encourage you to take that test as well. It is something for you to know about yourself. And then it will let you know why when somebody does something nice, even if it's not a a dating partner, you'll understand, hey, they spoke my language. That was really nice of them. It will give you that deeper level. It will give you a head start as you head into your relationships when God brings them along. We're called to this. And I want you to know today, it is not too late for you to learn to speak the love language. I'll never forget a couple that I I counseled in Southern California. They came in, they were in their late 60s. And they came to me in my early 30s to help them with their relationship. I didn't know about love languages at the time. I don't know that the book was out yet or I hadn't read it. But they sat down and they argued and they were a Spanish-speaking couple and sometimes it would drift into very passionate Spanish. And I would just let them go and then ask what was said. (laughs) But over our time together, they came to understand and God helped me to help them No, and in essence, it was what their love languages were. And they learned to speak it at 65 and 67 years old. And they had been married, I think at that time, like 35 years. But they learned to speak one another's love language. And they got to a point where they no longer needed to come in and see me. Because they had learned the language. And they knew how how to do this. You might think, what does all this have to do with church, Jeff? I want you to know that we serve a God who was willing to come and speak the love language that humanity needs. 
For some, it was a touch that healed. For some, it was words of affirmation that said God loves you and the kingdom that he has that you've been waiting for has come near. For some, it was acts of service as he washed his disciples' feet. He moved and embodied all of these things. So how can we who claim to be his followers not learn to speak the love languages that God has given to humanity? It's not too late. Ask for his help in learning how to be vulnerable and speak the language that your partner is waiting and dying for you to speak. It will change your relationships. Well, let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for giving us all of these different ways of expressing and receiving love. You must be such a good God to allow us to express love in so many different ways. So I pray for my brothers and my sisters that you would help us, whether we are single to learn how we receive love and what our language is. If we are married, to dare to risk once again, to be vulnerable and share, this is how I would receive love from you. Help us to know it is not too late, for we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Help us to risk this week. Help us to learn our love language and to share it with our partner. Help us as partners to receive it with trust and faith. To receive it with honor and gratitude. And to take those vulnerable steps to speak it poorly at first, but become fluent over our lifetime. And I pray this would be a healing balm for the relationships in this church. And that because of that, people would see there's something different here. They don't give up on love. They learn how to speak it. They learn how to be vulnerable. And so we pray all of these things in the name of the God who made Himself vulnerable to us. In the name of the One who spoke all love languages to those He was around. To the name of the One who showed us vulnerability on a cross and showed us the power of resurrection. It is in His name, the gentle, loving, tender, vulnerable name of Jesus that we ask all of these things. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Would you stand and receive the final blessing? And now, may you learn the love language of your partner. Dare to be vulnerable and learn to speak it. Poorly at first, trust me, it'll be poor. As poor as my French. But I pray that through God's help and strength, you will learn to speak it fluently. And receive the love that only the vulnerability with another human being can show you and bring you. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Go in love.